came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. We have the New York State Chairman, Ed Cox, and he met with the new Speaker, Mike Johnson. And what was that about? Congressman Peter King, former Governor David Patterson, Christine Nicholas, congestion pricing, she is mad as heck. Andrew Cuomo, his comments about Hanukkah, Eric Schuffler, what's going on in the baseball stadium in Staten Island, and Stephen Cates. And let's start off today with Mike Stoller on what's going on in the real estate industry. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. One of the busiest industries today, especially during due to the pandemic, is the industrial warehousing business. But there are different types of industrial warehousing businesses that people don't know about. And one of them is called coal warehousing. And one of the innovators in this business is Alan Dern, the CEO and founder of One Stop Property Group. Alan, tell me about the business and how you got into the business originally. So uh, it was purely an accident. Um, I was in the transportation business and had a long-term lease with the MTA uh, at a property in Long Island City that was about 20 acres with garage bays and wash bays and an office building with dispatch offices, cross dock, and, and acres and acres of vacant land. And I, and I sold the company, and I couldn't get out of the lease. So I was fortunate enough where the MTA allowed me to do what our model is today uh, in that space. So what was the model then, and what is the model today? It's very similar. So we rented out time and space. Um, if you wanted to park one or two buses or you wanted to rent an acre and you needed a garage bay um, in the nighttime, uh, we rented you only what we what you needed, and we rented time and space. And how do you determine what you should charge? Well, at that time, at that period of time, it wasn't market. It was what we needed to, to pay the rent and sustain the property with a fair profit. So what were the initial tenants in the property? All in the transportation business. There were trucking companies, limousine companies, bus companies, um, distribution companies, bakeries, and, and produce markets, things like that. And what was the average lease on these type of properties? All month to month. And what about hazardous materials, you know, hazmat, other other conditions that were bad on the neighborhood? So we, we operated with the oil companies and refineries and, and tenants of that nature, but we operated under the under the enforcement of the, the DEC, and we did it properly, but we weren't afraid of that. So how do you expand the business? I mean, this is, you know, like the self-storage business in, in many ways. This is what you are. You're a different format of the self-storage business. It's exactly the mini-storage model in industrial. So what happened is back in 2011, the MTA um, came to us and like every lease, the government lease, there's a caveat in the lease that says if they need it back for their own purpose, they could terminate the lease, which they did. 
So uh, at that point, we went out and we rented uh, many properties. That's true. Okay, so you expanded from zero, from point one to point four because of number of expansions. How do you find the expansions? So I rented two spaces on Review Avenue, and I rented uh, one space in Massbeth and uh, filled them up immediately. My neighbor uh, on Review Avenue, his name was Greg Brayman, uh, Phoenix Beverage, asked us to rent out his property and do the same thing. It was a building that was vacant for a long time. And I told him we didn't have the capital to, to rent any more space. And, and, and he actually threw us the keys and he said, I'll give you 10% of, of the gross rentals, manage it for me. My landlord, um, his name is Jim Giuliano, in Massbeth did the same thing. He had a property in Long Island City. He said, rent that for me. And I said, I'm tapped out. I can't. Threw me the keys, told me to manage it. And it it just expanded. The management just expanded to the Port Authority in Red Hook and many other properties. And both these gentlemen be, became my partners in, in, in future endeavors. And, and after we became successful, my CFO, Deb Bauer, became our partners. And before you know it, we're, we're buying properties all over the place, doing master leasing and managing more than ever. So what's happening today, especially as I was alluding that co-warehousing is a rapidly tr- expanding trend in the business, uh, that you have new, you have competition. Before, I didn't say you have too much competition. So it all starts with the wheels for us. Um, big plots of land, eight, nine, ten acres is our sweet spot. We're the largest commercial park is in the state of New York, and we've been getting more of that than ever before. But it... In our model, you know, some, it's a 100,000-square-foot plate in a building. We, we just have a much bigger pool to pick from. We're not looking for one guy to take the 100,000 square feet. You're taking what you need. You're paying for what you need. You're paying a premium for it, and it's a flex model. It's very easy. So where are you expanding? I said you've gone from the city to Long Island and as far out as exit 61. That's right. We went as far as Central Islip, so... I mean, we're in the super prime areas. We're from, you know, Red Hook through Greenpoint through Massbeth and Long Island City. We're in the Bronx now, and we have multiple locations in Long Island from Garden City all the way to Central Iceland. And what about environmentally problem challenge companies? Do you do those? We do. We do. Well, we we manage contaminated properties. I mean, we manage all of Larga Vista. Gasseteria uh, was their brand name many years ago. Now they're Larga Vista Development. We, we, we took all their tank farms and we rented them out to multiple tenants and did very well. So it looks, you know, that the co-warehousing business or the we I won't call it the WeWork type of company because mm-hmm. WeWork expanded too far. I'd say are, are there and the opportunities, and I think one of the best places where Alan Dern is involved, One Stop, is the future of the business. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. With us today is Ed Cox. He's the uh, GOP chairman of New York State. And uh, um, Ed Cox, tell us, uh, what the heck is going on? Uh, You've you got a race on your hands now because Santos is gone and you're going to have an empty seat in February. Uh, empty seat and the uh, Governor Hochul has to call a special election. She has. It's going to be in early February. And uh, she made up with uh, 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 
with her candidate who had challenged her, actually, in her gubernatorial election, and they had a pretty tough fight in that, and uh, he is now going to be the candidate on the Democratic side because there's no primary. The chairs of the Nassau Party will decide who the candidate is, and the chair of the Democratic Party uh, is uh, Jay Jacobs, who's also the chair of the Nassau Party. So he will be uh, so, and of course he's controlled by the governor, and so they've decided who their who their candidate is. Uh, on our side, you know what I do, Ed. You know what I don't understand. Why did they throw this guy out of the Congress? He was the GOP talking on the GOP point of view. They they, he, they had his vote until until next November. He wasn't going to run again. Now this election is going to cost the GOP $20 million. Uh, it's going to cost the Democrats uh, maybe even more than that. And it'll be a national, be a national election. Uh, and it makes no sense. Only five people have been thrown out of the House of Representatives in its entire history. Three of them were during the Civil War because they were Confederates. They were with the Confederacy. The other two were convicted of crimes. And the the way our rule of law works is that you are innocent until until proven guilty by a jury of your peers, and that did not happen in this circumstance. And uh, Mr. Santos, Congressman Santos, uh, was thrown out simply on a report from the Ethics Committee of the House of Representatives. And the leadership, in fact, of the Republican Party voted against his being expelled. And it took a two-thirds vote to expel. So this is an extraordinary event. It should not have happened, and it's going to cost the Democrats, you're right, $20 million. It's going to cost us $20 million. Well, but Democrats, Democrats had to spend $20 million regardless if it's now or later. But now the Republicans are going to have to spend $20 million, and they didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's going to be a national thing. Everyone say, oh, it's the momentum going into the congressional elections at the end of 2024. No, I mean, it, it's going to be. Uh, but what it means is uh, we've only got a majority of three members of Congress, and this would be the fourth. So it perhaps means something with respect to some major votes that would be coming up that we could only afford to lose three Republicans in doing those votes. So it does have uh, yeah. consequences because of that narrow majority that we have in the House of uh, House of Representatives. Incidentally, that majority is there because we fought the the gerrymander where the Democrats here in New York State have gerrymandered us into four seats. We challenged it in court. We won. We got a special master, redrew the lines, got competitive districts, and we ended up winning 11 seats. That difference of seven is part of why we do have a majority of at least four in the House, uh, uh, now three in the House of Representatives. Now, you, uh, you and Carl Rove had a review of, of the debate that happened last uh, week Wednesday. Tell us on, on your, uh, your pulse of what uh, the presidential bids look like. Well, the debate last night, last night was quite uh, an extraordinary debate. It's probably be the last debate. There are only four on the stage. They were pretty rough on each other, but they all held their positions and did, did, did very well in it. It probably was not as well watched as the first two debates, but but and of course the the 
person who wasn't in the room, who was not a part of it, was uh, former President Donald Trump. And he is still by far the leader in the national polls, but by a narrower margin, he is still he was the leader in the Iowa and New Hampshire polls. Governor DeSantis of Florida, who obviously was in the middle of the four debate as, as a leading candidate, he is counting on covering all the 92 counties in Iowa, visiting them all, and that he will win Iowa and go on to be our presidential candidate. And uh, Governor Haley, Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, former ambassador to the U.N., she has done very well with respect to foreign policy, very traditional Republican policy of peace through strength and internationally and uh, cutting taxes and cutting regulations domestically in order to have a growing economy. And she has gained the the support of a lot of major donors, and she is looking to have uh, those funds to assist her. So it's going to be a fight between those two to, in fact, be taken on Donald Trump in the end in in Iowa, in New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, and on to Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday in early March is when it will be decided because – California and Texas and Massachusetts and Virginia, major major states have moved up to be in Super Tuesday, and that will be decisive. Well, Ed Cox, thank you for the update. Is there anything else you want to tell the New Yorkers this Sunday morning? <laughs> well, the Republican Party in New York State has now Long Island from one end to the other as a Republican bastion. New painted its front page red uh, for Republican callers in the, when they announced the results of November 7th. And we are doing very well in the local elections. I think we're going to do, go ahead and do very well in 2024. Thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning, and we'll catch up again real soon. My pleasure as always, John. Thank you. This is the Cash Roundtable. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is one of my favorite congressmen. We've got Congressman Peter King. Peter King, tell us, I mean, there's so many things going on. Where do you want to start this Sunday morning? John, I guess there's any number of places we can start, but probably right here at home with the uh, declining poll numbers for uh, Mayor Eric Adams. These numbers are probably the lowest that any mayor has had in the last 50 years, for all I know. I mean, I've never, I think his overall favorability is about 28%, and uh, he's, you know, barely uh, halfway into his term of office. Uh, he's 
because he almost halfway into his term of office. I, I'm, I'm not surprised now, but I would have been surprised a year or so ago because I thought that Eric Adams had the potential, if he had done everything even sort of the right way, to you know really make an impression on the voters. Uh, he was talking about being tough on crime. He was going to be a new face and that he wasn't tied into the old establishment. He could get things done. Uh, he was uh, willing to break with his own party on a lot of issues. That's, that's how he won the primary. And he even found, uh, you know, pretty much conservative publications like the New York Post endorsed him. They had high hopes for him. But it just has not been able to get started. Uh, not following through on crime issues. Uh, really, with the uh, uh, migrant issue, the illegal immigrants, he was welcoming them. He almost had a welcome wagon out. And then he seemed, he was, he was totally inundated and flooded when it ends up being 150,000 migrants coming in. And now it's costing us, what they say, $4 billion. We're going to be cutting back on cops. We're going to be cutting back on uh, firehouses. It's out of control. Cutting back on schools. You know, he basically let it get out of control. It's such a surprise. I really had high hopes for him. Maybe he can turn it around, but it's going to be tough. And then you have the criminal investigation, whether or not that's warranted. It's certainly going to hurt his numbers. And uh, so I, I would say that uh, the city is no better than when he came in, or not much better. In some ways, it's worse. I mean, now you, everywhere you go in the city, you see you know, migrants on the street corner. You have these uh, electric bikes going in and out of the sidewalk. It's uh, the road to the sidewalk in between cars, around cars. It's, uh, it's not the New York City it was even two or three years ago. And uh, so it's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough to, for him to come back, and even tougher maybe you know, for the city to come back. So that's the problem or the issue that I see right here at home. In Washington, where do we begin? I mean, we talked about many, many times on ethics. The ethics within the law department, uh, they went after Cuomo, they went after Menendez, and they went after Eric Adams now. And all three of them dared, dared to challenge the White House. And, you know, the White House and the uh, Attorney General's office oversees the FBI, and they have to do what the, what the Attorney General's office tells them. Have you seen any uh, improvement, or, or is it getting worse? To me, uh, you, know, you know, Bob Menendez, I knew him. We came to Congress at the same time. The charges against him are serious, but you're right. This was probably out there for a while, and then they decided to act. It could be, it could be a coincidence. I don't know. But when he became critical of the... Uh, president on uh, you know different policies that the president had including with iran and others uh, that's when uh, suddenly you know the indictments came and uh, law enforcement came after him uh, also though with, with mayor adams i found that even more uh, abusive because at least in menendez's case if he's guilty of what he's accused of that, that you know, that's pretty serious but in eric adams's case uh, for him to be stopped on the street to uh, the fbi to take away his phones in the middle of the day near the united nations uh, there's absolutely no need for that at all. Uh, his, his lawyers have certainly turned them over. The courtesy is you would call the uh, uh, city hall. The only time you would act that way is if some reason they thought he was going to flee or he was going to escape, or they couldn't find out where he is. I mean, Eric Adams is the most noticeable person in, in uh, New York. So to me, that's, that was clearly intimidation. It was clearly a message being sent. And it began after Eric Adams became probably the most vocal Democratic mayor in criticizing Joe Biden's failed immigration policy. And yes. uh, when Eric Adams was basically blaming the White House for the immigrants he who was were stirring, in New York. He was stirring the pot. He was stirring the pot with the other six uh, mayors from the other six big cities uh, to break President Biden's, nicest way to say it, chops. 
Right. And, and Cuomo was uh, daring to say that he might run in 2024. Well, he gets shot down. Yeah, I mean, Andrew Cuomo, you know, you're looking back on it and you go through all of those cases. And I know that people have you know, mixed feelings about Melissa DeRosa. But, you know, the book that she's written uh, really, to me, lays a lot of it out. They make a very good case. And whatever it is, to me, it did not justify him being removed from office. I mean, that was, uh, we, can, we can debate some of his conduct. But to say that that rises to the level of undoing an election, removing somebody from office. No, he was obviously, he had, he had offended you know, the wrong people in high places. And if that was a factor behind it. I don't know, but again, it, it, maybe it's a coincidence, but maybe it's not, and it raises questions that I think should be certainly looked at. Congressman King, have a great Sunday uh, this holiday season, and we'll see you on Monday, and have a great day. Great. Thank you, John. You too. See you Monday. What is today is uh, Christine Nicholas, the CEO of Nicholas & Lens, the uh, top uh, public uh, communications firm in the city, and she's going to talk to us about congestion pricing. She also represents the theater district. Uh, Christine Nicholas, uh, how do you feel? Well, um, I just think that this is the wrong time for a huge change like congestion pricing. Look, I understand the MTA. They have a big hole in their budget. They need to fill it, something to to the tune of $800 million a year, but there's got to be a different way. And I think if you address this for what it is, which is I think less about congestion mitigation and more about addressing a budget issue. There's got to be a different way of doing it. I think it pits one neighborhood against another. I saw today as I was walking on Park Avenue and and 60th, right outside the Regency Hotel, the big transponders. So I'm thinking like all the parking garages on 60th Street are really going to do well because people are going to make that left turn or right turn. Right. And then they're going to just, you know, pull into it into a parking lot. Then it becomes you're going to have traffic jams north of 60th. It just doesn't seem like it was thought out enough. It's not the same city as it was five years ago. The city then was booming. The city was doing great. It was pre-COVID. Broadway was doing well. Now everything is a little bit shaky. We're not quite back yet. And this is just another impediment for people to come into the city, especially the bridge and tunnel people who are so important to the Broadway um, theaters. You know, keep in mind, they make up about 30% of the Broadway audiences, and they have been the slowest to come back for a number of reasons. The fact that they're not quite working fully in the city, remote working. There's crime issues that they are nervous about. And then on top of it, you have this. You know, and then somebody said, well, what about the, what about the price of Broadway tickets? Well, we did a survey the Broadway League. And it's um, when you look at the price of an average ticket, it's under $100. It's right about 100 We know we hear about tickets that go for 350 you know, for the really hot shows, but there are also many, many discounts. And you can always go to the KTS booth. So Broadway's doing well, but it could be doing better. And I don't think congestion pricing is going to help it. It's, congestion pricing won't help it. And then I'll give you the other side of, of that is they're going to be charging a lot of money for the big trucks that bring in food. And we own uh, uh, Gristini's and D'Agostino. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they're charging $500 a truck or 300 I don't know what the number is going to be, that's going to be a cost on food, and the consumer is going to end up paying. If it's going to happen, they should wait a few years, Christine, right. and, and let Manhattan make a comeback before we put yep. another uh, nail in the coffin. 
or, or maybe make it easier for people to participate in this. I mean, look, Manhattan is an island, right? So you have to cross water to get to Manhattan from no matter where you are, whether you're up in the Bronx, Washington, like to get over, you have to cross a bridge. There are lots of bridges that go to Manhattan. Why not just toll all of them, but for a very modest price, right? So I'm talking like $1.50, $3.50, you know, depending on which bridge it is. But you would then, you'd get everybody, you'd get the masses, right? Everybody, And, and also it will avoid um, toll shopping, which is another fear uh, that a lot of people have that, you know, truckers, uh, Uber drivers, they're all very savvy. They're going to know how to get around this so that they don't have to go into Midtown. But what they're going to do is clog up the rest of the city. And where they're going to clog it up in a lot of places is in the Bronx, for example, up north. They're going to clog it up in Brooklyn, where, you know, they already have high asthma rates. They have bad pollution, um, you know, because of the highway that goes right through. So this is not addressing that problem. That's more of like what, you know, Governor Murphy is talking about, too. You know, if you're from New Jersey, if you're from Long Island and you take the toll in, you take a bridge or a tunnel, you're getting double taxed. And, and think about the poor Staten Islanders. They have no choice but to take a bridge, right, if they want to, if they have to drive. And they're just getting hit so hard. It's, to me, it's just not fair. It's not the right time. Our economy is shaky, as your guest at the Police Athletic League this uh, week, Larry Kudlow, mentioned that inflation is outpacing income. So even though if our incomes are, are higher, and not everybody's is, but if you're lucky enough, you're getting sucked by in inflation, you know, 9.5% or so. That's a lot of money. You know, we pray for our city. Uh, let's hope there's yeah. common sense coming around, and uh, let's, let's stay on top of it. Thank you, Christine <laughs> Nicholas, and uh, we'll catch up with you again uh, in the near future. Thanks, John, and, and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and Happy Merry Hanukkah Christmas. and holidays to all your listeners. Thank you, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. What is today is Governor David Patterson, and he's with us every Sunday. Governor Patterson, uh, what are we up to today? Well, amid the issues of the ongoing uh, war between Israel and Hamas and the presidential debates that were held in the Republican Party this week, and just a number of other things that are causing New Yorkers to feel caution, was an FBI report, I believe, that came back came out last Tuesday stating that there has never been a time where there has been uh, more possibility of attacks against Americans on American soil. Uh, there have been times when there were threats against the Jewish community and threats against uh, the black community and, you know, just uh, threats against the, the government itself. But all these things seem to be happening simultaneously. And it gives me a moment of pause because I remember when the ship, the coal, was attacked I believe in 1998, and uh, we had a, a big event in lower Manhattan about it. And I, you know, obviously was concerned, but I think back right before September 11th, there were other FBI reports talking about possible infiltration into this country of terrorist forces. And I think a lot of people just didn't listen to it, you know, just didn't think it was, would happen. I, at the time of September 11th, really didn't know that much about Osama bin Laden. And boy, was that a wake-up call for all of us. And we sure don't need to, to go through this again. 
So this and, got to and be by an the issue way, that now I, I I didn't know much about the 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 word mullahs in Iran because they're the ones that pushed the button and paid off the Hamas uh, to to create the war, and I never knew the word mullahs, but now I know it. And they, I, I have renamed them the Osama bin Ladens of 2023. That's ex- exactly what's happening. And, and obviously um, uh, there uh, are attempts to get some of those operatives into this country and wreak havoc on our land. And that just can't happen. And it's one of those situations where this is one thing we're all going to have to agree on, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, whatever your view is of how the country is run and who should be the president and that uh, type of thing. It was a report. It was the national news services, CBS and NBC and ABC. They reported it, but they didn't seem to go much further than that. And I'm hoping that they will, because this is something that we've got to be very careful about. Still, we have in this country a democratic society, we may dispute elections and that kind of thing, but we all try to come together after they're over. We had that problem in 2000 with uh, Al Gore running against George W. Bush. And then uh, we had to get in 2020, of course, with Biden defeating Trump. And a lot of people didn't like the result of that. But it cannot be the catalyst for division in this country on this subject. It's just too serious. It's too dangerous. And it is obviously an idea that, I mean, think about Hamas. So they attack Israel. Fifty countries in the first two hours from the U.N. come out telling Israel to exercise restraint. See, as if somebody broke into your house and uh, you start shooting back at them and then some peacekeeping force tells you to come in and, and use restraint. I don't mean to trivialize the comparison, but what I'm just saying is this is, Really serious, and it's kind of under the radar, and I just wanted to use a little time this morning, if you didn't mind, John, to elevate it in our uh, discussion as we move forward. Well, it, uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, the other big subjects in New York during the holiday season, it looks like the MTA is moving forward uh, with congestion pricing, which will create more disaster for our city. And you live in the inner city like I do in Manhattan, and uh, we both live here. And, uh, you know, every time you come to, to work from uptown uh, Manhattan to downtown Manhattan, uh, you, you're going to pay a penalty. You know, it's kind of interesting because I was very supportive of this plan when it was first brought up in 2008 by Mayor Bloomberg. But even at that time, I remember that the, the mayor wanted to meet with the assembly members and they wouldn't meet with him about it. And, uh, you know, it sounded all right to me. And obviously, we need the revenues that the governor says it it would uh, garner from this process. But there's a whole lot of evidence that what may actually happen is it will dissuade people from coming to the city, which is what happened during the pandemic. And that was the revenue generating during the pandemic fell dramatically because people weren't coming to the city. They didn't want to be around other people. In this case, it would just be people don't want to come to the city because they don't want to pay those types of prices. And while they're talking about, Mayor Adams is talking about ways to allow some entities such as school buses and, and uh, taxis to be able to have a lower price. If, if they have a lower price, 
then you have to raise the $15 price for automobiles, and um, you might even have to raise the 24 and $36 prices for the buses. So and they're going to charge, and Governor, they're going to charge a lot of money on the trucks. So every truck that gets delivered to supermarkets or drugstores, it's going to the consumer is going to end up paying. Yeah, this is going to be a, a, a difficult thing. I, I would really hope on this issue that I'm wrong. Uh, I, I'd, I'd really hope that it would be a revenue generator for the city. Obviously, the city needs the money. Obviously, the state needs the money. The MTA will will manage it. I'm not as critical of them as others are. I, I think they know how to manage money. I was on that board for about five or six years. But what I would say is it's a slippery slope. They made some good arguments. Apparently in London it worked and, and some other places there was a great deal of objection, and yet it actually was successful. But I think around this metropolitan area with people coming from New Jersey into the city every day and people coming from Connecticut into the city every day regularly, that this is a – I really respect – the MTA and the governor for moving forward because there's a great deal of almost hostility to this plan. And, uh, you know, I, I like that they're fighting for what they believe is right, but it is a very slippery slope. Last thing, Governor, all the politicians are telling people crime is down, arrests are down, but that's a technicality. The arrests are down because the police officers are not making the arrests because it becomes a, a bureaucratic nightmare uh, the, they're filling out paperwork, and uh, the person is not going to jail. I mean, this situation that we read about in San Francisco and Chicago, where people were going into drugstores and smashing the glass casings where the supplies were and just walking out, and the police stood by and weren't able to do anything because they were being told not to, not to interfere. You know, there's just a general change in what we all once believed was the right thing to do. So, for instance, you know, when I think the best time for Israel to have really gone after Hamas was directly after they were attacked. In other words, they should have just emptied the um, the arsenal on Hamas at that time, because the more there was a discussion about it, the more they were dissuaded from doing what they needed to do. And similarly, on the lower frequencies, when you think about crime, uh, going on in the city right now. And, and in Manhattan, there are drugstores that are now closing. You won't even be able to find a, a, a place to um, fill your prescriptions. This is dangerous. And I think the only way to stop it is a strong presence of law enforcement and an immediate reaction if anybody does anything wrong. In, in, in other words, you just can't have this situation where the owners of the stores are just throwing up their hands, and, and you as a store owner yourself, your time knows uh, what can happen if people start thinking you're an easy target. Governor, we, one last question. I mean, it's, Commissioner Sewell uh, said to us, and I think you might have been there that day, where if we took 3,300 criminals, repeat of criminals, off the streets permanently, and some of them are not curable because they're, they have like 10 arrests, 11 arrests, 12 arrests. Then New York City will be back to the New York City me and you love. It's amazing that it's actually such a low number of people. And this is a good thing, that it's a low number of people that resort to this type of violence and theft 
and individual attacks on New Yorkers. And yet these predicate felons, meaning people who've committed crimes and been convicted more than two or three times, still somehow find a way to get out and commit fourth, fifth, and sixth offenses. You have people who are being bailed out who've had 50 to to 100 previous offenses. How could you have 100? Where would you find the time to get arrested 100 times in the city? And that's, I think, really what has to be addressed, is that there's a certain period of time, and I opposed this years ago, I'll admit that, where Governor Pataki's idea of three, three strikes and you're out. Look, if we had to compromise, make it five strikes and we're out, we'd be a whole lot better than we are today. A hundred percent. I think the, ov- of the overall problem, John, is people are losing their faith that their government and their law enforcement can protect them. Governor David Patterson, I look forward to continuing this discussion. Thank you for calling in this Sunday morning, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. What is today is former Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo, and uh, he has a few things to say about uh, the holidays, uh, especially Hanukkah. Uh, good morning, uh, Governor Cuomo. Good morning. Good to be with you, John, and all your listeners, and happy Hanukkah to our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, We're sorry that uh, we're in the state that we are in. I've never seen the Jewish community as afraid as they are today, John. Uh, I wish our government was doing more to make them feel safe. Uh, But I think we all can help and we can all show a sign of solidarity. Uh, I'm going to be attending Hanukkah services uh, just as a sign of solidarity. But you see someone wearing a yarmulke, you see someone with a star of David, give them a smile, give them a nod. Uh, The Jewish community is a big part of New York. New York wouldn't be New York without the Jewish community. And we we need to come together. Uh, It's our division that is the only thing that can destroy us. Understood. I mean, uh, the United States of America always had uh, freedom of religion. That's why uh, the pilgrims came here. And uh, we, we can't give up part of our uh, uh, Constitution, part of our Bill of Rights. And um, uh, thank you, uh, Governor Cuomo, for speaking out. Uh, what else would you like to say? Um, I think that's it. There were crazy days uh, in politics on every level. Uh, and, we, and we have a lot of big issues that we have to deal with, John, so... We have to get down to business, as you talk about often. We have an extreme on the left. We have an extreme on the right. They've intimidated the moderates in the middle. uh, And we need to come together and get things done because uh, we're not making the progress that we should be. You're absolutely right. The country is mostly divided. And the common sense people, I call them the common sense people, uh, uh, Governor, Uh, the common sense people on the Democratic side and the common sense people on the on the Republican side should get together uh, and, and make sure America goes forward. Yeah. You know, before you can be an extreme liberal or an extreme conservative, uh, you first have to have common sense. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. the foundation. And that's what we've lost. And we have to get it back. 
Thank you so much, Governor Cuomo, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Good deal. Thank you. What is today is Eric Schuffler, the president of uh, the Ferry Hawks and the stadium in Staten Island. So I don't know how long we're going to call it the Ferry Hawk Stadium. We're going to make call it uh, something else, the entertainment uh, uh, stadium, because uh, I understand, Eric, me and you have decided that it's going to be nine months of entertainment and three months of uh, baseball. I think, John, we want to get it to a year round of entertainment with some baseball thrown in, some concerts thrown in. You know, we're in talks with a soccer team potentially about playing at the stadium. We did a beer festival. We're looking at a wine festival to come in, a whiskey and cigars event. Staten Island University Hospital Community Park is going to be turned into Staten Island University Community Year-Round Entertainment Center, still with the best view of any entertainment center or any stadium in the country, looking at that lower Manhattan skyline right next to the ferry. Your vision, making it happen. Well, uh, I understand there's some rumors going around uh, that uh, there's a new uh, manager coming in for the baseball team. Yes, we're going to be announcing on Monday the new skipper to kind of lead the Ferry Hawks in year three. We've had a great two years with great people, Edgardo Alfonso, Homer Bush, great individuals. Uh, we're going to be announcing uh, a new manager on Monday. We're really excited, someone with a lot of experience, uh, really good at recruiting players, some top-notch talents, and uh, we're ready to bring that championship back to Staten Island that we've been promising. And uh, we'll either be announcing it on WABCRadio.com or uh, you never know. Maybe even Sid Rosenberg will announce it. (laughs) And uh, you're also going to be breaking it to the Staten Island uh, Advance. Right. We've got great partners, WABC, Staten Island Advance, Staten Island Live. Been great about covering the Ferry Hawks. New York City's third professional baseball team outside of the Yankees. And the Mets, so really exciting time coming up. Uh, you know, we start our season the end of April, but in between, we've got college baseball. We're going to have some, as I said, uh, beer festivals, wine festivals. And, you know, we're in some advanced talks about having, you know, one or two concerts at the stadium, which is something people have really been clamoring for. So uh, it's our well, third year, and it's going to be our best one yet. Uh, well, you haven't told me who you hired yet, so I'll find out on Monday. <laughs> Thank you, Eric Schiffler, and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll talk on Monday. I'll talk to you then. Have a great weekend. Amen. God bless America. It's Sunday morning. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. He's with us every Sunday when, you know, and it makes our minds expand to what the heck is going on up there. Uh, Steve Cates, uh, welcome to Sunday morning. And uh, what's, uh, what's up today? We have lots to talk about here. Wishing everybody the best of the holidays. You know, John, deep in space, and we talk about this all the time, these great mysteries. We'll have another mystery of the week in just a few moments, but there's something in space called gamma rays. What are these? They're the most powerful energy particles that the universe has. And we've heard a couple of stories, John, about, oh, maybe a year ago, that a gamma ray burst from space two billion light years came past the Earth. Well, guess what? Now we have one that tops the record. The Milky Way galaxy that we live in There's this gigantic black hole in the nucleus, about 27,000 light years from us. Well, lo and behold, in 2021, that big black hole in the center of the galaxy blasted some gamma rays that actually affected the upper atmosphere of the Earth. So lucky for us, none of these sources of gamma rays are as close as some of the stars because 
sometimes people in the past have looked at this and blamed it, maybe correctly, on previous extinctions here on the Earth. I find that fascinating. And uh, tell me, uh, if the gamma rays hit real bad, is that what affects uh, uh, your power grids? Not necessarily. It would affect our DNA, which is even more important. I mean, obviously, we need power. But going into this deeper, John, this is what we're finding fascinating. The sources of these are still well within the questionable area. We think that it, this one, of course, came from the supermassive black hole. But it probably wouldn't do anything to affect the communications on the Earth. But let's hope and pray we don't have anything that close. But there's another subject matter that's also in the news today. There's another object in space called a magnetar. Well, let's be brief. Magnetars are pulsars. These are stars that are tiny, maybe the size of the Earth. Sounds incredible. But a magnetar, John, has so much magnetic, obviously, than a magnetar. Think about this. If you had a magnetar as close as the moon is to the Earth, this is not made up. This is fact it would be able to strip off all the data off credit cards and all magnetic devices if it were as close as the moon. Now, lucky for us, the closest magnetar is only about 9,000 light years away. But isn't this amazing how the universe has all these powerful sources, way more powerful than uh, everybody out there probably imagines as we open up our minds? Well, 9,000 light years away. So uh, if something happened today, uh, we, would, we would definitely mm -hmm. have a problem in 9,000 years. <laughs> we sure would. And, you know, that brings us up to the great mystery of the week. And here's one that I think the listeners of the Cats Roundtable will appreciate, whether you're young or older. The major eight planets in the solar system, and we talk about the dwarf Pluto, they're way out there. They go all the way out to dwarf Pluto about a couple of billion miles away. But here's the mystery, John. If you took all those planets and lined them up side by side, what would be the diameter of all those planets? Now, here it goes. We could actually take all those planets, and they would fit in the distance between the Earth and the moon. That's only about 250 miles. Now, that's crazy because... Most people think, oh, Jupiter's so gigantic, it's about 88,000 miles across, Saturn about 74,000. But isn't that quite amazing in that mystery sense? Most people didn't know that. Most people probably go, wow, scratching their heads. So in other words, the solar system is populated with all these planets and great distances. But if you combine them all together, it fit in that short distance. I find that amazing. Well, what I really still find amazing is how uh, we, we're getting pictures from Mars uh, as if you're standing right there uh, uh, with the, those uh, video cameras on that helicopter and the, and the video ca cameras on the... Uh, and and it, it's, it, it's really mind-boggling that, uh, you know, it's a, a lot of rock and a lot of sand. You bet. It's one of those planets. People may ask, why is Mars red? Well, it's made up of a lot of material like rust, like iron oxide. But, John, now Mars has moved out away from the sun, so communication lines are better. A few weeks ago, we said when Mars moves into solar conjunction, the sun's, you know, it's in a straight line. The sun's energy interferes with communications. But it's going to be a great next year, John, 2024. We're going to learn so much more about the surface of Mars, new probes that are going to be heading there. We, can, we could list them. It takes a long time here and from the time we're allocated this morning. But... Just know, folks, this is going to be a great exploration of the solar system. Mars is right at the tip of most people's list, not wish list, but actual reality list. 
And it leads us to what we talk about when we conclude. We always talk about the live sky. What's that? It's what you can actually see in the sky, which makes our minds wander more. So here we go. This week, one of the best meteor showers, John, of the entire year is going to start taking place. It's called the Geminids. Comes from the zodiac sign Gemini, of course, the twins. How do you see it? Dark skies, look to the northeast. It peaks on the night of the third coming up and the 14th. And this shower can produce hundreds of meteors an hour or maybe even 50 at the worst part. But if you have a dark sky or even city dwellers may get to see some. Remember, they're the size of a grain of beach sand on average, maybe the size of, you know, little pebbles that you would see out in the open in the dirt. But these are incinerated particles from a slash comet asteroid. So it's something to see. People can learn more by going to WABCradio.com for the Dr. Sky Experience with a brand new report, John, on what people can see in depth in our beautiful December skies. So what a way to talk as we move into the holidays and some better clear skies. You just have to be able to bundle up no matter where you're listening and enjoy the beauty of what makes this a great mystery. Well, thank you, Steve Cates. I am waiting for a white Christmas. Let's see if we get one this year. Yes. I hope so, John. Good morning to you and the listeners. And thank you for having me as part of the Cats Roundtable. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.